Fundamental Life Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Fundamental Life Podcast. Um, We've taken a little time off. Looks like we are on episode 11. Last time we recorded was in September. Holy cow. Yeah, we just took uh, October off. So I don't know why. Oh, I can tell you. Why? Well, it was my 20-year wedding anniversary. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, we uh, we had to think about it. Like, I, I wanted to do something because, like, here's the deal. When when you're married for 20 years, everybody's like, oh, you've married 20 years. you got to go on a big trip or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so we looked at it, and I was like, well, where are we going to go? Like, there's nowhere to go. Like, there's nothing to do. And so... Um, we ended up, I looked into it, and we went to Florida and uh, stayed at Disney World um, for a week. Went to all the parks in Disney World and then went to um, Universal Studios, um, uh, Orlando. And uh, anyway, oddly enough, the reason why people are like, oh, you went to Disney? Why would you do that? Well, that's where I met my wife. Believe it or not, I met my wife at Disneyland. Um, she listens to this, so I, she already knows. I thought she was a bitch, like straight out. When I first met her, I was like, I do not like That's this woman. Harsh. Man. I know, right? It's really harsh. I know. She knows. She's like, I've shared this story multiple times. It wasn't like I knew her for like two years before we started to date. And so like, we did not get along. She did not like me and I did not like her, but we met at Disneyland. So every, uh, every so often, like that's. That's where we went for our one-year wedding anniversary, different things like that. So going to Disney World for our 20 was actually appropriate, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. Well, yeah, we took we took a, took a little bit of time off, but we are back at it and ready to rock and roll. I am super stoked about uh, some things we're going to cover today because I once heard that you can prove anything with statistics. You know, 93% of people believe that. I've, I've heard that, 93 to 94. <laughs> yeah, right in that range. Numbers are skewed within the margin of error. <laughs> so we're going to cover some, uh, some digits about our beautiful state of Utah. And some of this data is a little bit uh, outdated, only because uh, of census reports and it takes time to gather data as far as growth of states and exactly what's going on. But we also have some real-time data as of this morning. And so we'll kind of build into that real-time data. My mind's blown. You haven't seen it, but your mind is going to be blown. Uh, it's pretty crazy. So I want to go through some interesting statistics here. So and I pulled this uh, off the web this morning. And granted, this is through the end of 2019, right? But uh, what would you... Have you have you looked at yours? Have you looked at this? Uh, I was busy talking to Marcus about Universal Studios, so I didn't really pay attention. Okay, so sorry for the listeners. <laughs> what would you think is the fastest growing state in the country? Ooh, ooh. Um, you don't. You're looking at it. You no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna guess. Can I, I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm gonna guess, and I'm gonna say. It's not Utah because that'll be too obvious. So I'm going to say Wyoming. Really, really close. Really? Kind of. Okay. Fastest growing state in our country is North Dakota. Shut up. So now when you think about that, you're like, who is moving to North Dakota? I don't know. 
but it is the fastest growing state from 2010 through 2019. Yeah, but they only had like 19 people there to begin with. True. <laughs> but now they have 28. Yeah, so it's like you <laughs> doubled your population. Now, what is a lot of growth is the second fastest growing state in the country is Texas. Everything's bigger, bigger in Texas. So not not super shocking. But what's awesome, and uh, depending on how you feel about it, uh, is Utah happens to be number three. From 2010 to through 2019, I don't like that. No. The reason I don't like that is it puts more people in my mountains. Yeah. And I mountain bike, and I snowmobile, and there's only so much mountain. You know what I mean? So, But it is good for uh, the growth of our economy and um, so for that reason, I can understand how people like that. But it, nonetheless, it is an interesting fact, okay? So I'm going to keep going here. What's cool about um, some of these statistics is some of them are, aren't super shocking, but others are. Um, in Well, I'm just going to read this because it's, it's kind of cool. It says, Utah is growing like a weed. We're not growing weed. That happens in other states. But Utah is growing like a weed. It's the fastest growing state over the last five years. So from 2014 to 2019, fastest growing state in the country where the population has uh, grown nearly three times the national average. Wow. Which is interesting. Um, there's a little side note here. Utah has the largest average family size in the country. And coincidentally, the highest Mormon population. Really? That's what it says. I would not have guessed the Mormon part. How many kids <laughs> how many kids do you have, Marcus? Four. I have three. I have three. And a dog. So that's like I'm the American dream. We're the at we're, okay, so this ne next statistic is fits within us three. Okay. Um, let's see. It's right there. Mormons make up nearly two thirds of the state's population. I don't think that's necessarily true today. I'll talk we'll talk about why in a minute. Uh, the Mormon population typically has 3.4 kids at home, while the average American family has 2.1 kids at home. We have more kids, right? Not a shocker, right? But it's interesting to kind of hear the, the statistic on that, okay? So let's move on to things within our beautiful state. For those listening, what would you say or what would you guess is the fastest growing city in Utah. Okay. okay. All of Utah. All the way from Lewiston, which is in, in Cash Valley, down to St. George, the last city. All the way through the state. What would you say is the fastest growing city? Not township, not village, but city. Can, can I use a lifeline? Um, you can phone Marcus. Okay. I'm going to guess Harriman. You are absolutely correct. Did you cheat? No. You just guessed that? I dude, honestly, I've seen what's going in out there. And don't they have the largest um high density uh unit going in right now? It's like it's uh, like they've never oh, had it. Oh, as far before. as the master plan you yeah. <clears throat> unit. Yeah, it's yeah. the um, uh, highest density of homes like in Utah history. I don't know about that, but this is kind of crazy. In 1999, which is the year I moved to Utah. First of all, when I, when I, let's, let's digress. When I moved to Salt Lake, 
Um, I ended up, I lived in Murray right off state street, um, with bars on the windows for about six months and a little one bedroom apartment that we rented. And then I actually moved to Draper. Well, in 99 Draper was the edge of the earth. It was cow town. It was matter of fact, I worked off 33rd South and I remember the processor telling me, well, why, why would you want to live out there? Your commute's going to be horrible. You know, it's Cowtown, And I kind of got, and I was like, dude, that's the only place I can afford, you know, is a little rinky dink condo. It was like the cheapest stuff in the Valley. Well, in 99 Harriman had, hold on. I just saw it. Harriman had 1,523 people. Shut up. In 1999. Dude, that's not even their high school now. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, their high school's probably got between two and 3,000, maybe more. Um, in 2010, Harriman had 18,328 people. And as of the end of 2019, so 10 months ago, the population was 35,640. From 2010 to 2019, that's a 95% population growth. So just blowing up, right? And part of that is uh, that's where there's land. That's where people have been able to expand. Um, and it was, I think it was Bluffdale City up until maybe 2005. I, might, I could be wrong, but they had a one-acre minimum. I remember that. If you mm -hmm. wanted to build a house, it was R43 was the zoning or R, R44 or something like that. And you had to sit on an acre. Um, that would be nice if the whole state was that way. Yeah. But oh, tell me about it. Then I wouldn't have neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> second, second fast growing city, Saratoga Springs. Third on that list is Bluffdale. Fourth is Eagle Mountain. Fifth is South Jordan. This date is obviously a little old because I think that this year some of that data will change. I know that uh, St. George, for example, is erupting. Um, and there's cities surrounding St. George that are also just blowing up. But uh, others there, Lehigh, Washington, West Haven, Heber, and then Nibley. Where's Nibley? I have no idea. I don't even know. But that, that rounds out the kind of the top ten on the list. Is that up by uh, Park City? I want, dude, all I can think of when you say Nibley is Hugh Nibley. Wasn't he like somebody? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you know what? Nibley is up north, isn't it? Yeah, Logan. Oh, okay. you know, yeah, it is. I should know that. I'm from Cache Valley. Um, sorry, I'm going to read off a, a ton of stats here, but I think they're they're kind of interesting. One thing about uh, Saratoga in 2000, there was only a thousand three people that uh, that lived there. And one of them, one of them was Ted Martisic, and I helped him oh, move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that when we drove out there. I was like, like, "Well, where who, are we? Who the hell is here?" I was like, "Is this moon dust?" <laughs> So 1,003 uh, people lived there in 2000, and now there's 27,347, probably closer to 30,000 now because they are building out there in 2020 like gangbusters. So interesting, uh, some interesting stats. Um, Wasatch County, the home of Heber City, was the third in growth among all counties in the United States growing 45% from 23,000 to 34,000. Uh, St. George ranked fifth in growth among all metro areas in the country. Wow, that's crazy. 
Um, in 2019, Utah County grew by more than any other county in the state. I know Utah County is absolutely erupting down where Marcus lives. So there's some like historical uh, data for you. Let's talk about uh, some current data, and we'll get to why this is important here in a minute. But so today, this is as of oh 45 minutes ago. Um, things are selling like crazy in the state. Like they're building everywhere you look. Homes are being built. You're dealing with dump trucks. You're dealing with uh, you know you pull up to the gas station in the morning, and there's 28 construction workers getting out to fill up their mugs, and it's just blowing up. Like there's a lot of production when it comes to home building. Um, and for those who have uh, spent any time looking for homes or have kids that are trying to buy their first home, um, you kind of see what's out there and how quickly it can be gone. So this data is real time. It is as of this morning. And I'm in the industry, we're in the industry, and I am shook. This is This blows my mind. So as of this morning, how many homes would you say are listed on the MLS, how many homes are listed as of this morning available for you to purchase? Statewide or just? Oh, sorry. Let me clarify. Just in Salt Lake County. Salt I Lake. just pulled Salt Lake County. Salt Lake not, County. Not Utah County or statewide, only in Salt Lake County because I had to narrow it down to something. Um, 1,400. Really close. 1,061. Whoa, that's actually, that's not very close. 1,061? Eh, it's pretty close because the next figure that I'm going to give you, I'm going to cover it up so you can't see okay. it, is the shocking one. Okay. So right now, in Salt Lake County, as of 45 minutes ago, this number's probably changed. Um, how many homes do you think are under contract to be sold? Someone's listed the home. Someone's made an offer on that home. The seller has accepted that offer. And right now it's under contract to be closed. And typically, just for those listening, when a home goes under contract, it usually sells within 30 days. It can be longer. It can be a little shorter. But most contracts are 30-day contracts. So how many are under contract in Salt Lake County as of this morning? Okay. So there was 1,061. Those are currently listed, so not under contract. Correct. Okay. They are on the market. If you want to buy a home this morning, there's 1,061. That you get to pick that from. That you could pick from. Okay. Under contract, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm actually gonna shoot high and I'm gonna say there's eighteen hundred under contract. That's uh you, you, I wanna say you're close, but you're not. Okay. But that's a lofty, lofty guess. Yeah, you, well, you know, because you, you gotta consider anyway, yeah, go ahead. So <laughs> it's well, let me preface it. It's typical that uh any market will have a you know, a, a 60 day or a 90 day supply. So if a, if a home typically sells within 30 days and there's 1,061 listed, you would assume that, you know, maybe a third of that to a half in a soft market would be under contract, right? No. So under contract, there are 2,462 homes under contract. Dude. Okay. So like I was shooting high. I was yeah. like 1,800, and I was like, oh, dude, I'm way too high. 2,400? 2,462. Actually, I pulled it, and then I went back to double check. And then I walked down the hall to ask Mikkel, do, do these numbers sound right? He pulled it up, 
and it had dropped one within two minutes of me pulling it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things moving on there. But if you, if you consider that there's 2,462 homes under contract and there's only 1,061 homes listed for sale, of which about 20% of those 1,061s are stale. They've been on the market for a long time. They're garbage. People aren't going to buy them, right? What is that, a two-week supply of homes that are yeah. listed on the market? Very, very low. Here's something else that's cool or interesting. Of the 2,462 homes that are under contract, 1,453 of them are single-family homes. Stick-built, single-family residences. The other 1,009 that, uh, that occupy that number, they can be townhomes, they can be condos, they can be manufactured, uh, mobile homes, like different things like that. But only uh, 1,400 of the 2,400 are single-family homes. So now the reason that's significant is condos and townhomes have always been built in our state, right? But um, now they're being built at a rapid pace because they're more affordable. Um, it's high density. As the land gets filled up, then you have to build up. You have to build smaller. You have to build in tighter uh, confines. So crazy numbers. I The, the number under contract and the number listed, um, I'm positive they're accurate because I double-checked. They that It blew me away. I knew there was a, a shortage of homes. I didn't know it was that bad. Dude, that's... 2400 under contract. I'm still trying to like wrap my head around that. Yeah, it's crazy. And by the end of today, those numbers will change immensely, right? And so, I mean, why why are we talking about this? Like why is this even significant? Um what does it mean for for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean uh for someone who owns a home? I don't know. But we're going to talk about what it means for those buying what it means for those selling and uh, kind of the pros and cons of just kind of how to navigate it, I guess. So one of the big questions um, that you and I get when people call up uh, is what's the max I can qualify for, or I want to get pre-qualified. And I always ask, you know, kind of soft pitch them a question like, well, what are you comfortable with? Where do you, where do you want to see your house payment? Right. Um, but this really affects your buying power because the prices are going up so fast. It's, it's, a, it's hard. It really is like, you know, I have a client right now, they offer $25,000 over list on a home in Harriman. Wow. It was uh purchase price was 700. They offered 725. They were one of 24 offers. The offer they took was for seven fifty. They um, they removed the appraisal contingency and earnest money of twenty five grand hard the day they signed. Wow. Yeah, my client didn't get it because they were they're like, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, you gotta have some broad shoulders to put that offer in and roll with it. Oh, especially <laughs> not just broad you gotta like your wife has to love this house. Yeah. Hey, just real quick, I, I've been thinking about it. i got to digress. I do love my wife. She's awesome. We get along really great now. i just I got to throw that in the middle because <laughs> just in case people are like, oh, dude, Covering Matt, your tracks, bro. Matt, Matt's such a jerk. So, no, it, it, we get along great now. She, we, we laugh about that story. So that's why I bring it up. Bro, anyway, two decades she's know, put man. up with you. I know, well, I told you. Like My old man told me, marry the first girl that will put up with your crap, Matt. 
And so, you know, she was the first one that would, and here we go. Here we are, twenty years. I'm later. glad you digressed and covered yeah. that. Yeah, I wanted to like spit sign that up. I started thinking about it anyway. But yeah, anybody that's going to pay fifty grand over a list and uh, make it no no contingencies, it's like, dude, you want that house. The other question that that I get constantly is. Steve, what's going to happen with the market? We're concerned. What What do you see happening with the market? And they might be talking about rates, but more often than not, they're talking about home values. And it's because some of us, uh, we have a like a canker still in our brain or a hangover from 2008 and 9. It's a valid question. Oh, yeah. Know? Dude, so I, I, I love that question because they always follow it. And say, well, I know you don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> I'm going to get you a crystal ball for your I'm, desk. I'm going to get one, man. <laughs> I'm going to get one today. And I, so when they say, you know, hey, what's going to happen? Well, I know you don't have a crystal ball. Hold on. Let me look into it. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, if if I knew that, I wouldn't be writing loans. I would be doing something else, yeah. you know. But it's, uh, it's a valid question. And when you, when you look at uh, what can potentially happen, um, things can continue to go up. Like you and I were talking off air this, this morning, you know, three or so hours ago. And, uh, uh, it's just there, you can make an argument for both sides of the fence. You can make a cautious argument that keeps you out of the market, uh, and a really conservative view, or you can say, man, it is blowing up. I'm going to acquire all the properties I possibly can. And I'm going to, you know, do this I'm do that. I'm going to shake and move. And I don't know which side uh, is wrong. I will say this about Utah. Um, it is a very uh, good state for employment. Um, I think with the massive amount of people moving here, although it drives up values and puts more people on the roads and fills up our mountains, um, it is uh, a really, really good state and a stable uh, market. I know that our lenders love uh, Utah because of those things. You know, it's not a transient state. People usually plant their feet here and and stay for a good amount of time. There's a lot of things that are attractive about living here. Uh, uh, quite quite frequently, we take uh, applications and the people are moving in from out of state. So when we look at these stats that we read off to kind of kick this off, um, I think 2020 is going to look significantly different because there are so many people uh, – that are attracted to the state that are coming from, you know, California that are coming to, uh, are coming from, uh, Arizona. They're coming from the Midwest. They're getting job transfers. There's employers here who are hiring a lot of people, you know, there's a ton of new employers in, in Utah County alone. And, uh, a lot of those people are also flocking to, uh, Texas, uh, Boise, Idaho, believe it or not. I think as of maybe a month or so ago was, in the top three fastest growing cities in the, in the country, um, Boise and Meridian are blowing up. Uh, what, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I'm from Idaho. Like if you would have said that to me when I was in high school, that Boise is growing faster than anywhere else in the country, I would have told you you were full of shit or smoking crack, one of the two. But now people are flocking to these, uh, these states, these mountain states. And it's just a fact. I don't, you can you can love it or, or hate it, but it's a fact. Well, and along those same lines, we we look at Utah and people staying here. You know, um, I heard I heard a stat once um, that most people 
I want to say it's like 70, 80%. I don't know. I'm making up stats. That's that's what I'm good at. I just, you know, you can prove anything up. with stats. I'm just saying. So most people end up living within 50 miles of where they grew up. It's just a fact. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, in Utah, we have 3.4 children per household as opposed to the rest of the nation at 2.1. It doesn't take rocket science to say, okay, our population is going to continue to grow and multiply just because of our children, and then you start bringing in more mm-hmm. people. And that's the biggest thing is I'm looking at, uh, I don't want to call them millennials because that's just stupid, but all of the people I grew up with, um, their kids are now buying homes, and they're staying in the state. Yeah, I, I did read a... Uh, some interesting uh, articles about that. And it's been a few weeks because I got nothing to do but read, you know, watch Netflix. But you haven't read the book I gave you. I know, dude. It's on my nightstand and I, w- I feel like I know the whole book because you tell me about it every morning, but I, which I like. But uh, there's, uh, there's an interesting uh, statistic. I think this year for the first time ever, people moving to the state are the growth in the state. Uh, people moving here are outpacing the natural growth like you just mentioned, because of, you know, youth wanting to stay here and and raise their family and people moving here is outpacing that for the first time ever. And so it's, it's growth on steroids basically. Well, and this year I'll I'll be interested to see the stats at the end of the year, just because of this social experiment that we've been doing. And I, and when I say social experiment, it kind of downplays it, but, and I don't mean to do that, but with everybody having to work from home, they have proven that you can be anywhere and still do your same job. And so people are like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to move to Utah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a, I mean, when you look at uh, California and some of these articles that I uh, was researching, uh, talked about California, beautiful state. Matter of fact, you know, even in the article, they're like, man, there are a lot of things to love about California. Uh, You've got the ocean. The weather is, is fair. Um, but then it digressed and talked about the tax rate. Um, it talked about property taxes, talked about just simply the cost of living. And when you can live in, in a, in an alternate state that offers a lot of things, though different equally as awesome. Uh, but your cost of living is half, maybe even a little bit more. Um, and you can move here and buy a, you know, 2,500 square foot home for a third, the cost. It, it, it changes some things and the social experiment, um, you know, we're surrounded by all this data all day with our borrowers. Right. And we kind of see where they work, how things are, are working out. I had talked to a guy, uh, Oh, it's been four or five days ago. He works for latent construction and he said something that kind of shook me. I said, well, are you busy? He's like, yeah, I'm busy, but it's totally different. Nobody is building class A office space. You know, the big buildings like the Union Parks and the massive office buildings, um, unless they were already under construction, nobody, and they've even halted some that are under massive construction. Why? People are working from home. And the thought process is that it will stay that way because it makes the cost of business, it drives it down. And those are, I think, concerns in the commercial market that they're not going to be able to fill some of these spaces. You know, some of those tenants have gone delinquent on their rents or requested forbearance on their rental or lease payments. And so a lot of things are changing. You know, it's, 
I hate the term, the new norm. I don't think it's a new norm. I think it's, um, it's just different. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. The other thing is, uh, fast forward to 2021 parade of homes. Okay. And you're going to be walking through all these homes. I guarantee the home office is going to be a lot better than it's been in the past. Usually it's just like that. Oh, this was going to be a, a hall closet, but we turned it into the office and you have a desk and a laptop in there. Mm-mm. No, I'm going to tell you, dude, like that's something you're going to see like people really start spending some money on. I didn't even, I didn't think of that, but you're absolutely right. I saw somebody actually is doing it right now. It's uh because they legalized here in Utah. Um, Weed? No, no, <laughs> not yet. No, but <laughs> they uh, they legalized outbuildings like having, oh yeah, and so accessory you, units is yeah, what they call them. Yeah, exactly. And so everybody thinks, oh, so I'm going to build an accessory unit and rent it out, and then I have like this you know, uh, a, a Connex in my backyard and somebody lives in it, right? No, dude, I saw somebody starting to build offices. Mm-hmm. So it's like now you're at home working, but your kid's not screaming in the background. You're going out to your Connex and you have your own office. Yeah. And like, I was like, dude, that's sick. I want that, but bury it like eight feet underground. Yeah, a bunker office. Yes. <laughs> With a TV on the wall that looks like you're just looking out over the ocean. Dude. It's a visual yes. effect. So this growth is, it's concerning for some people who are buying and, um, and also those who are selling. So let me take you through a scenario. Let's say that you or I, uh, we really like Utah, but our, our, home, our, our families are getting older uh, we'll soon be empty nesters and possibly want to have less score footage, right? And so when you sell your home, it's going to be like if you sold your home next month, looking at the numbers with the lack of nice homes on the market, there's a good chance you're going to get top, tippity top dollar out of it. If the home is manicured and turnkey, it's going to sell uh, quick. Even if it's kind of a dog turd, it'll probably sell, right? For, for a lot of money. But you need somewhere to live. And that's the interesting thing about talking about housing is everybody sleeps. Everybody needs somewhere to lie their head down that's safe, that's going to give them shelter. And so this affects you whether you're renting or buying, uh, whether you own right now or you're buying in the future. And so if, if we sell our home and get top dollar, we have to go buy another home, you know, and the thing top. is, you're going to be paying top dollar. Mm-hmm. And so it's, if we get those questions, man, do I sell and just, and rent and live with the in-laws or, or you know, sit on the sidelines? And I'm like, dude, you got to make that decision for yourself. I do not know what's going to happen. I'm optimistic that the market will continue to uh, be stable. Nobody wants like hypersensitive, ridiculous growth. To your point, those kids that are growing up uh, here in Utah families, hell, they're going to have a hard time living here because the guy coming from California sold his home and he's bringing four hundred grand in equity, so he doesn't mind buying a starter home for seven hundred grand. The rest of us Utahns aren't used to that. We're mm-hmm. used to paying three, four hundred grand for a nice, nice starter home. Tell me, like your first house, what did you what did you pay for that? Um, purchase price was two 
it was two fifty. Um, I, I, like two forty eight and some change. I remember my loan amount was two twenty four. Was it ninety nine or two thousand? Nineteen ninety nine. I put it under contract. I built with uh, one of the builders here in Utah, and uh, it you know just typical took a year to build. Um, we've talked about it. I was built it as a single male, so I was kind yeah. of an idiot. But uh, bachelor was, pad, right? It bachelor was, flats, dude. It was sick. Anyway, but um, two hundred twenty four thousand is what I financed. And, uh, like, my old man was tripping. He's like, quintuple what I paid for my house. And it's like, well, Dad, but you bought in the 60s. So, but, again, you look at it, that was my first house was 224. I ran the digits on it today because my first interest rate was 7.875. And I was stoked. I was so, like, I was like, yeah, I got under eight. And... So I ran the numbers today. If you get a mortgage today at today's rates, you would be able to finance $373,000 and have the exact same payment I did on 224. So I would say $170,000? Yeah, roughly about one hundred and seventy grand more. For the same payment? For the same payment. Oh, no, one hundred fifty. One hundred fifty for the exact same payment. Uh, wow. And what's that home worth now? Um, I haven't pulled it up. Last I looked, um, it was like four fifty. Well, it's got to be worth more than that now. Yeah, like, I would say today. I haven't looked. Like I yeah. said, the last time I looked was probably about a year ago. Yeah, but it's crazy. I uh, same thing when I closed on. I, well, I bought a condo, which I still own to this day. But I bought a uh, uh, home up in Suncrest out there in Draper, and my first interest rate was seven point three seven five. And it was on a five-year adjustable rate, and I was pumped, and I was paying mortgage insurance. So, <laughs> it's the perspective uh, has changed, and the buying power when your interest rates, uh, give or take three percent, is uh, substantially more. And it kind of needs to be when you oh. look at the the prices. It has to be. Oh yeah, because like that's the whole thing. You talk to. You know, I don't want to be that guy that's like, you know, the old man sitting on his lawn, you know, right. but like, seriously, like my dad always talks about, well, you know, my first interest rate was 22%. And it's like, dad, your first house, you financed 15 grand, <laughs> you know, get off your high horse for a minute. Okay. Cause like really honestly, 30 years, even if your rate was 22%, you're probably paying 230 bucks a month. So that doesn't even cover my car insurance. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to, we sound like old, old cadre dudes, but. I just sound that way when I talk about old cadre dudes. Yeah. That's, I'm going to say that. I like the young, you know, <laughs> let's go out there and take over the world. So uh, one thing that uh, I mentioned when we were off air before we started this is um, I want to talk about how do you kind of, I guess, insulate yourself from uh, or protect yourself against things that, that can happen because we've both had clients and both of us at times in our lives have been, uh, maybe too optimistic or, you know, just send it, bro. Just send it. Just let's go for it. Woo! And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful character to have that or a beautiful thing to kind of think that way, uh, to only see through rose colored glasses. But, uh, I think that you have to hope for the best 
but also prepare for things that can happen. Um, and so with our clients and seeing what we've seen over two decades, both of us, um, in your opinion, like how, how, and not just your personal experience, but looking at how does someone insulate themselves against, uh, maybe a downturn of 20% in their income because of uh, a pandemic like we've gone through, or maybe a downturn in, uh, the value of their home, like things that can happen and do happen will happen in people's lives. How do you insulate yourself and your family against uh, catastrophic like financial problems? That is a great question. And I'm going to I'm glad you said the term catastrophic because I'm going to digress to my book again. So every single person is going through some sort of catastrophe in their life. Maybe not personally, but somebody in their immediate or close family. Everybody is going through some sort of catastrophe. And when you start really thinking about that, you're like, holy crap, it's true. Like when you start like, you know, spreading those wings and really looking at it. Maybe like two or three degrees of separation and you know people going through some really difficult, difficult times. Exactly. And so, um, believe it or not, like, I have, like, uh, somebody, like, a mentor, I would say. Like, somebody I really look up to as far as, like, financial and, like, just being a good person. And, like, he's the guy, honestly, he taught me not to have road rage. Like, I didn't even think about it, but he he, he taught me how to not have road rage. And, uh, anyway, his name's Mike Bullitt. And I talked to him the other day about what he's doing with his money. And uh, one of the things that he said, the lesson that he learned, you know, from the previous financial catastrophe is he's not going to spend money that, um, well, he's not going to finance money he doesn't have. And so that's what he does is like, basically, if he buys something, he sets it aside. And so it's like he'll finance a car, but he's got money to cover it sitting on the sideline. And, you know, same with toys and boats and whatever you're going to buy. I mean, if you, like right now in certain industries, people are slaying it. And so it's, uh, it's one of those things. If, if you have money set aside that's going to cover said asset, then it's okay to, you don't have to pay cash for it. Just don't put yourself in a position that in six months from now, if you don't have the money, you have to get rid of said asset. Because I've been there. And you cannot dump assets like you think you can. Yeah. And it's difficult to dump uh, those assets when everybody else is going through the same thing. Yeah. Like, I, that's, the, that's the thing is I own a 1972 Chevy uh, Malibu. It's a super sport. It's Chevelle. Chevelle. And it did. The thing is sweet. It's awesome. And in nine, or in 2008, 2009, when things were really hurting, I looked to get rid of it. And the price point of what I could get for it was humiliating. Like, it was like, dude, I cannot take. And it's paid for 100%. All the money, you know, restoring it, all that stuff. And it's like, dude, I can't sell it for that. Because if I do... 
like the massive amount of not only the, I could use the money, but I got to just hang on to it. So I still have it. And like now people are telling me what they would pay for it. And it's, you know, it's a lot different. Yeah. Grossly higher than it was in 2009. So when you talk, like when you talk about being leveraged, um, it's a nice luxury to have and shout out to Mike bullet. Great, great dude. Best electrician in the state. And, um, He's just a good dude. So yeah. everyone should pattern after him. So shout out, Mike. But uh, uh, that's a nice luxury to have when you can choose to be leveraged, but you're still liquid. And um, I've got some some high net worth clients that have done the same thing. When you can borrow money uh, at 2.99, right? Um, but you've got millions sitting in the bank. You can take that 2.99. You could pay off your house if you wanted to, but it's cheap money and get a return on that. So but let's talk about kind of uh, those who aren't, who don't have uh, as much net worth. Let's say um, a first-time home buyer shortly out of college, or how does that person, uh, and maybe there's not an answer, I don't know, but uh, how does that person insulate himself? I'm going to offer a, uh, a solution to that or maybe, maybe an idea. The short stint I had in college, one of my classes was economics. I think it was economics 101 and it's just that simple. You don't need to go to economics, you know, 3.9. It's like, it's just simple, you know, managing of your assets, managing of uh, your bank accounts. One of the things that uh, the professor said that rings true to me, you have to have reserves period. End of statement. You have to have reserves. How much reserves? I would say a minimum of three months of your expenditures. This is, this is very simple stuff. You could, you would be shocked for those listening. We see financial snapshots every single day. Um, you would be shocked for those who, uh, don't do that. Don't prepare themselves for that. And there are times where, um, you could have one foot on a banana peel and nothing in your bank account. I get it. Like I understand, but I've done uh, loans for the same person several times over a 20 year period and they just kind of live their life with one foot on a banana peel and nothing in their bank account. And there are times when that happens, but you should always strive to have some money set aside. I think that uh, that is the insulation. Uh, it'll get you through three months. You know, a lot can happen in three months. Uh, you can find a new job. A pandemic could, your income could re reduce, but then it will get increased again. And so there's just some things that uh, you can do. Uh, don't think that you need to live like everybody flossing on Instagram. Okay. You don't need a brand new BMW. Um, if that's what you want, cause it makes you feel great, then do it. But if that's what you want, because it makes you look cool, get, get your head right. You know what I mean? You don't need things. Dude. So I got a saying and this, this comes from my dad, and so this is this is uh, this is old man saying, but I love it, and I say it all the time. <sighs> Dollars were made round for rolling, not flat for stacking. But when you when you earn a dollar, spend ninety eight cents, not a dollar two. And really, honestly, so that's where it's that like that sounds like Phil. Doesn't it though? It, well, it's because it is. But he uh, the the thing with with that is. 
spend your money. You don't have to sit and hoard it. Like I have right. relatives that that's like they put the money in the in the in the lockbox, and it's like it never comes out. Like oh no, we can't spend that. That's our savings. Well, why did you earn it? You know, so it make them it round for rolling, man. Go spend your money on stuff that makes you happy. You know, if it's stupid stuff, that's okay. I don't care. I spend my money on stupid stuff. But save that two cents, man. Don't don't go into debt just to be a baller. Yeah, you you work for a better quality of life. And you you go out and you put in the effort to make scratch to make dollars so you can have a better quality of life. By God, you better be enjoying that life or you're going to hate your spouse or your work or your kids or just your life if you're not enjoying things that are important to you. And like Pac-Man Jones, dude, dude it's every, I'm it's just different for about everybody. The script club, you know, and he making it rain. Yeah. But he spent a dollar two there, man. I'm just saying he, that's he, why he went he, back. He spent a dollar ten. <laughs> <laughs> so like everybody's got different things that they enjoy. Like you enjoy video games, right? Oh yeah. Um, I enjoy snowmobiling. Uh, there's just things that are important to me. I don't really give a shit if anybody thinks they're cool. I lo- I like them. I love them. They're, it's what I enjoy, and that's what I spend my money on. Um, and maybe when I was younger, I would do and buy things that made me look cool. And take it from the old man Steve, don't do that. Save two cents of every buck. Put it aside. Have reserves. You don't need a bigger house if you can't afford it, man. You just don't need some of those things. And so when I talk about insulating yourself, um, be, be patient with buying things that you want if you can't afford them. Uh, and eventually, uh, through some hard work, maybe a little sacrifice and living right and uh, uh, you know, you know, basically saving, you can have all that stuff. Just you got to exercise a little bit of patience. We've had a lot of clients that have gone through bankruptcy right in oh, our yeah. in our careers and we see that they're they really never change their spending habits some of them make it really really good money but their spending habits are just horrible and uh it's <laughs> it's funny because as i look at my kids one of the worries that i have is that they're gonna obtain a spouse that has horrible spending habits i don't know why maybe it's just because what i do for a living but uh that's a, that's a concern like in the back of my head and uh, I think it's a valid one. So anyway, I'm digressing. No, I think that uh, you're right on that same mark, you know, just that's one of my concerns too. But um, yeah, say, you know, set some money aside. And here's the thing, being a first time home buyer, hearing, the, uh, hearing those purchase price numbers, they are terrifying. Oh, it's got to be scary, man. Dude, I can't even I can't even fathom the very like when I bought my house um, in Draper, I financed um, four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. I did not sleep for a week. I laid in my bed every night and stared at the ceiling and thought to myself, "What have I done?" I was like, "This is so far outside of my comfort zone." I can't, there is no way, no way I can do that. Um, now it's like everything coming across my desk, the average loan amount here in Utah is 330,000. And so it's like all these first time home buyers, they're having to go out there and it's like, you're used to 
paying five bucks for lunch at McDonald's and now you're having to buy a half a million dollar home for your first crib. So it's like, just take a deep breath, look at the payment. 30 years is the same today as it was 30 years ago. So mom and dad, they signed on 30 year mortgages. We're going to do the same thing. So if the payment is like, like I said, you look at my digits, you can finance $150,000 more today than what I did 20 years ago when I bought my first house. Yeah. The barriers, barriers of entry are uh, pretty low. You know, you can put as little as 3% down. Um, and with rates down as low as they are, uh, it's, it, it really is a, a great time to buy. The reason I bring up those concerns is because we're neutral, man. I'm not going to say like, it, it's sunshine lollipops. It will be forever. You know, and I'm not going to say, oh, doomsday's coming. I'm just here to provide some pers- perspective on kind of the lay of the land, uh, what's happening in our uh, beautiful state and across the country, and talk about what that means for you and your finances. Yeah. And so um, hopefully everybody enjoyed kind of the, the stats. I know it was interesting for me to kind of compile those and, and put it together. Um, hit us up. Hit us up on uh, uh, Instagram. Hit us up. Shoot us an email. Um, we'll put uh, uh, our Instagram handles down here uh, in the description. And uh, you can definitely shoot us some uh, advice on what you would like to hear about. We've got a lot of ideas, but we want to, you know, feed your ears. So let us know what you want to hear. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the thing, just, uh, just in closing, wrapping it up, I would say first-time home buyers, just be patient. Like if you're not, you don't, you're not going to get the very first house you make an offer on, I promise. But don't go in and make a stupid offer and hurt yourself for the next 10 years because you can't be patient. You want it now. Yeah. And then just to sign off, what I would say is if you ever get in an argument with somebody, you can always use statistics to prove them wrong. I don't know about that. I would say that's only right about 35% of the time. I 90, 94, 95. <laughs> that's what I would say. I right, y'all. Appreciate you listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Fundamental Life Podcast. Bye.